In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, and welcome to episode 367. This week on the show, Scarlett Kim, Associate Artistic Director of Innovation and Strategy at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, is here to talk about the Quills Fest, where immersive tech and live performance come out to play, which is running now until the end of the month. We talk about why one of the best-known theater companies in the United States is commissioning new XR performance works, and a lot more. Then, we're joined by Greg Lombardo, Vice President and Head of Experiences at the one and only Netflix, which currently has multiple live immersive experiences touring the world, including the Stranger Things Experience, which is opening its Los Angeles stand this weekend, We get into just why it is that Netflix has gotten into the immersive experience business and what Lombardo thinks is so special about the form. All that, and I'll babble a bit at you at the end, including my off-the-cuff notes on that Stranger Things experience, which I did see last night. But first... Before we do that, London No Pro backers, don't forget to check the Patreon feed for your 20% off discount for rematches Rumble in the Jungle. This is a recreation of the iconic fight between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali, conjured through projection mapping, blended with performance, and surrounded by a festival atmosphere that aims to capture the vibe of Fight Night 1974. That discount is good for the February 28th and March 1st shows. Look at us talking about 2023. Big thanks to No Pro sustaining backer Richard Ayers for hooking us up with this. Backers, check the feed. Speaking of our Patreon backers, we remain on the right side of the halfway mark of our $5,000 a month funding goal. And right now, just 10, just 10 shy of the 400 backer mark. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Then well, we can do it. That, <laughs> what is going on? That coupled with the support from Houseworld New York City this month is helping us build out our runway deeper into 2023. I'm less worried about money than I was like a week ago. That's that's what's going on. And backers should be on the lookout next month because not that less worried. All right. Like I'm still worried. It's just we've bought ourselves a month. Uh, look how excited I get for buying ourselves a month. What if I bought ourselves? year. What if we bought us a year? Backers should be on the lookout next month. I'm going back and forth between reading and not reading. Backers should be on the lookout next month because Unique Trapman O'Brien is going to be offering up some rare telelibrary slots. Oh, you know, you know they're rare. As part of a fundraising auction, action, it's an action auction in December for January sessions. So we're doing an auction for backers of telelibrary slots in December for January calls. Uh, more on that after the Thanksgiving break. And yes, non-backers will also have a shot at it as well. Backers will get first crack at it though. That means our latest backers, Republic of Heaven, of Haven, sorry, Pragzar and Eric Horn will all get a crack before, well, along with all the other backers, before non-backers do. So, you know, maybe get in there, up your chances if you're looking for a telelibrary slot. Um, Anyone who joins us at patreon.com slash no will have access to that, access to the 20% discount, uh, access to more uh, as more folks come through and show their support. It it really not only brightens my day, uh, but it uh, creates that umbrella we need to keep on going and keep on getting word about everyone's shows out there. If you already support us, and I know so many of you who listen do, uh, or if times are tight, like they are for me and like for a lot of folks right now. Um, But you listen to the show, uh, take a moment to drop us a review on iTunes. We're really going through a wonderful period right now. We're getting some really big interviews. Uh, Folks are going to be looking at the show like never before. And those iTunes reviews really help. Uh, Or your podcatcher of choice. If iTunes isn't your thing, just helping us spread the word 
uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, that, that, that website that's dying right now. Any of it helps. Uh, it's silly, but it does. And of course, we're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noproscinium.com and we'll iron out the details. I got a couple of people I got to write back to because I have been on the road. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Winthorne, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for keeping us going. And with that, Scarlett Kim and then Greg Lombardo. Joining us on the show today is the Associate Artistic Director and Director of Innovation and Strategy at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. That's up in Ashland, for those of you who might not know. Uh, That would be Scarlett Kim. Hello, Scarlett. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, The Quills Fest is happening right now out of OSF, uh, running through November 30th. We're going to get into that in a second. But before you go there, I I wanted to kind of uh, give a a little bit of of background and uh, also kind of get a bit of Scarlett's story of of getting into OSF and where the Quills Fest comes from. Um, The first time I met you, you were directing... Uh, kind of an interactive theatrical jukebox is how I thought of it at this bar in Hollywood, which I don't even think is there anymore. Um, it's not. <laughs> yeah. That was back during what your CalArts grad school days, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe so. Yeah. It's a memory I haven't uh, thought about in a long time. So thanks for capturing <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> just, it's just, it's funny to me just because like, you know, I, I love the way the flow of, of, of this little immersive world we have uh, goes because you can like meet someone, see their work in a completely random non-theatrical location, like, you know, five, six years ago, and then fast forward and they're an associate artistic director at one of the most significant Shakespeare festivals, if not the most significant Shakespeare festival in the country. Uh, But working in like digital stuff and doing like XR theater. So it's just, it's wild to me. It is wild. And it's so great to be uh, in touch with you again, Noah. I feel like um, all the kaleidoscopic memories of the LA immersive um, scene, it's, it's, you know, it's a community that I feel very home with an ad. So I've been um, uh, intersecting with a lot of those folks through Quills Fest actually. So it's very much on my mind. How to break first before we get too far into the ordinance story, but like break down how do you pitch Quills Fest? Well, Quills Fest is a festival where live performance and immersive technology come out to play. So, play, I think, is a really important part of Quills Fest. It's a sandbox, it's a playground, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a space that uh, celebrates process and the artist's journey. And I, I think this is very special because a lot of um, uh, uh, XR spaces, I feel, uh, are are centered around presenting final products, but w- uh, we really curated and produced Quills Fest around featuring immersive projects and XR projects at various stages of the life cycle. When you came to Oregon, when you came to OSF, was was this always part of your plan to have an XR festival, or or has this sort of emerged over the course of the past couple of years, because uh, if memory serves, the first Quills Fest was last year while we were still kind of crawling our way out of the wreckage of the high pandemic. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, like it, it, there's been so much uh, shift in, in what people think of as theater. So I'm really curious uh, about about how this one all came together in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So our artistic director, Nataki Garrett, a trailblazing uh, arts and theater leader, uh, when she started her tenure at OSF before the pandemic, uh, digital strategy was a core part of her vision. You know, OSF is a destination theater historically, meaning people travel to Ashland, Oregon, um, 
400,000 400, people or, or in a year travel to OSF in Ashland, have the festival experience. And Nataki's vision um, is about how do we actually expand access to uh, OSF's artistry? How do we actually define destination theater expansively so that it's not uh, just about our three physical stages, but actually uh, our fourth stage, which we're calling the O digital stage. So part of that, um, uh, Nataki's vision was to launch Quills Fest last year. Uh, so when I started, uh, when I joined the team at uh, OSF about a year and a half ago, my first um, uh, task was to really uh, launch Quills Fest. So I, uh, that was one of our first uh, cornerstone projects was to commission theater artists, uh, match them with creative technologists and commission them in uh, creating new uh, XR projects. And it's our second year uh, down the road. Has as part of the the inviting people outside of of coming to Ashland um, for the for the destination part of the festival. Has anyone talked about maybe bottling the lithia water and, and sending it to people as part of their quills experience? Oh, that's hilarious! I mean, Ashland—it's like Disneyland <laughs> of theater, you know. Like it's like yeah, a, a never-ending yeah. summer camp. Uh, so there's a lot of quirky things about it. And the Lithia Water is one of those things. Is is the number one? Yeah, um, I've only I've only been to OSF once, and that was that was in my senior year of high school. We we drove the oh bus up from the Bay Area with my entire high school theater class, and we wow. like hung out there for like a couple of days. It was. It was perfect. It was amazing. Like it's so good that part of the reason why I haven't been back is I don't want to sully the memory because it just like sits there. But, <laughs> but but I can still remember the the shows. Like one of them was this really just like awesome a Richard the Third, and then I didn't get to see it, but they they did like a French farce that year, and uh, I, I didn't see the show because we, we got to pick different things. I think there was a Winner's Tale in the Black Box Theater is what we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we got to see the backstage. We got to see the turning of the turntable from mm. uh, from Richard to the French farce, uh, and, and getting to see everything set up. And it just like blew blew our you know seventeen year old minds like totally. <laughs> yeah, it is really OSF is the first theatrical storytelling experience that a lot of young people have, and that's been mm. a really core part of how we think about our digital work as well. So how do you approach this idea of introducing people to digital performance? Uh, What's the brief on that? Well, uh, theater and technology are two spaces that uh, uh, are inaccessible in many ways, have barriers in many ways. So really, um, uh, uh, Quills Fest uh, embodies this... um, uh, our, our commitment to creating a radically accessible space at the intersection of these two spaces. And I think uh, uh, I my favorite part of what I do at OSF is matchmaking, really matchmaking mm. theatrical storytellers and uh, folks practicing in the immersive and uh, creative technology space to create bespoke forms, to to build new uh, collaboration paradigms. Uh, And that's all based in this uh, belief that I think uh, artists who work with live uh, forms, live live, uh, performance and theater have a lot to contribute to um, how we play in the tech sandbox. Let's drill down into that a little bit. What what are you finding that theatrically minded folks bring to these forms? I note that through the vast majority of pieces in the fest this year, and, and maybe we can get in some highlights in a minute, uh, are 360 videos. Uh, so, is there take us in take us into that? What, what is what do what does theater bring to that format? Well, I think one big thing is about process and iteration. I think as theater artists, we're constantly iterating and constantly prototyping. And I feel like that approach of making work, uh, making collaborative work is something that is really exciting to kind of um, put in a a creative technology context and vice versa. Like I I love bringing in kind of how we think about um, 
uh, playtesting, for example, into the theater world. So I, it kind mm. of mashing up all of these ways in which we develop work and play and kind of uh, creating new bespoke ways of uh, making work. So I feel like process, uh, uh, you know, was was a really part of um, breaking, like breaking the boundaries of process and bringing together artists from different disciplines, backgrounds, mediums, industries to kind of uh, uh, see what happens. I think, you know, you mentioned 360 videos. I feel like one of the specific um, inquiries has, an, has been about what are our habits in creating theater, film, you know, these kind of um, more it, it, uh, 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 practices that have, I, I've been calling it uh, habits or kind of um, paradigms of uh, what we, mm. we, assumptions, paradigms of assumptions and how, what are ways we can kind of uh, imagine new ways of thinking about our relationship to the audience. So I feel like in 360 videos, you know, we've had rich investigation around what is the, like, do we, what does it mean to think about the cinematic frame? What does it mean to think about um, the audience's agency? How do we think about immersion and interactivity as theater artists, which is something we think about and bringing in into this form that has a cinematic component, but also allows us access to think about immersion in a different way. So 360 videos uh, and film has been a really, uh, uh, I would say popular format uh, when we bring together theater artists and creative technologists. You mentioned that one of the things you're doing with this festival is uh, bringing, uh, you know, it sounds like you're commissioning work as part of it. Yes. Uh, am, am I picky up on that? Um, good. Uh, sorry, I responded Absolutely. to your yes, like after the fact. Uh, it's, it's, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm conducting like a radio thing across like several like solar systems uh, <laughs> for a quick second. So... Is there are there pieces in this year's that you've commissioned specifically? Yes, so uh, commissioning new work is really central to Quills Fest, and I think uh, I am so excited that we uh, are resourcing this work and supporting artists' journey and really uh, what it means to create new work in this space. Because I, I feel like that's that I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm an artist first, and when I think about uh, opportunities or supportive context to create new work that plays with technology, there there aren't that many. So I, I feel very excited and proud of the kind of incubator that we've created. And the way that we've curated these commissions are all through uh, uh, um, building relationships with artists. So we didn't curate projects, we curated artists. Mm. And uh, a lot of these stem from conversations or uh, uh, just sessions, a conversation, studio visits with artists where we're like, hey, uh, you know, I really resonate with the way you play with liveness or agency or immersion in a in-person context. What, what would it, what's something that you've always dreamt of doing that, uh, that, would, that would be fun for you to play with immersive technology? So a lot of conversations started like that. And we really think about centering the artist. We really think about uh, how can we holistically support the artist so that they can actually experiment and prototype and really present whatever, share out wherever the artist is at in their work. So we had a number of new commissions this year, two, two commissions that kind of uh, started last year, but we continue to follow our Anaquad by uh, uh, led by theater artist uh, Taida Fo, who's a multidisciplinary uh, choreographer artist in partnership with Dove Heishmer and Alpha Rats. And they created this uh, gamified uh, Anishinaabe folktale based bear medicine dance. It's a really unclassifiable uh, experience, VR experience. So we commissioned this project last year and this year we uh, did motion capture of Thai performing uh, physical dance and captured that into, into the uh, VR world. Uh, another project that is a two-year-long commission continuing is Ordinary Gesture. Uh, theater artist uh, Raja Feather Kelly, who uh, just won the Tony for choreographing A Strange Loop on Broadway, uh, paired with uh, Cyril Svilsky uh, and Ilyas Silak, um, who ended up becoming our creative technologist in residence, created this, again, a, an unclassifiable experience. Uh, of They talk about it as kind of surrealizing the experience of uh, empathy. So you walk around in this um, uh, house uh, where you bump into mysterious figure who um, make you question what uh, 
what ordinary gestures in day-to-day life are and how they're loaded with all of these things. So those are commissions from last year that were like committed to continuing to support because the artists are finding new stuff continually and evolving. There's a number of new commissions from this year. There's so many. There's a partnership we have with the Park Avenue Armory um, in supporting this artist now, Bustamante, and exploring her uh, investigation of reinventing the speculum, like the speculum as in used in a gynecological exam. So this project is a first draft of an ongoing collaboration that is kind of imagined to become a VR roller coaster. A partnership with New York Live Arts uh, to support uh, Nehal El Hadi and Ayodamola Okusende in this uh, writing from Nehal around uh, Habub or a um, Sudanese sandstorm. It's a deeply personal story, uh, but it's also thinking about sand as a medium and metaphor for the Black diaspora. So these are just two examples of very early stage work that started out as like hey, we would love to support you in playing in this uh, totally new sandbox that actually have a lot in common with what you already do in the world of theater and performance. You you mentioned that, you know, these commissions, these collaborations are coming out of studio visits and and connecting with artists. How much of your job is is going out and searching for folks or are they, they coming through OSF in a different theatrical context and then you're talking to them about digital or are you you know encountering folks at other festivals uh, I wonder if you could peel back the curtain a bit here how that process works yeah absolutely and that's a great question I, I would say all of the above and that is you know I like I said the the best part of my job where I yeah. get to do stuff it's with artists and a lot of, I mean, one of the things that I'm excited about is um, OSF becoming a playground where artists come and get to do multiple things. So for example, Sharifa Ali, who was a resident artist uh, of the O Digital stage last year, directed a play on our live stage, created two films uh, that went on to win a million awards and did super amazing and did two our two VR experiments, one of which was a commission for Quills Fest last year. So I love that we're able to be a kind of uh, place that can support an artist in expressing their practice in multiple mediums and multiple outputs, a place where an artist can explore uh, performance practice without having to determine the output uh, in their process of exploration. I would say I'm also uh, uh, spending uh, a lot of time in kind of going out into spaces that OSF uh, hadn't really considered spaces uh, to engage in in the past. So, uh, uh, and really engaging artists there who who are interested in this intersection of theatrical storytelling and technology. So this year, the artists Meng Tai Zhang and Lemon Guo, I've been following their work for many years. I think they're one of the most exciting voices in VR today. Um, their piece, Diagnosia, which was presented at Tribeca, I think is a real trailblazing uh, project of narrative VR. So we, we presented that piece in this year's Quills Fest, as well as a new commission, we commissioned them to make a new piece, which is a early stage work in progress VR opera uh, exploring polyphonic singing. So I love that we, um, I, I'm very excited about the relationship we're being building with Mong Tai and Lemon, who don't necessarily come from a theater background, although they are theater artists in a way, actually, but are more kind of um uh, embedded in the VR and film festival world so that we can build bridges. Uh, there's already exciting conversations happening between those artists and the theater artists who've never done VR before and et cetera. The kickoff event for this, um, at least part of it, I'm not sure if you did something in Ashland, but the part that I know happened because we got invited to it was in New York at the top of the month. I'm I'm a little bit curious there. I, I know the, the whole ethos of you know bringing the... The, the destination to folks, but how does a theater festival wind up in Oregon, wind up doing their pop-up in, in New York city? Tell me that story. 
<laughs> no, it's um, it it was a truly ecstatic and joyful weekend because we got to uh, meet some of the artists that we've been working with for like two years for the first time in person. Um, a lot of our artists were and creative technologists are actually based in New York, so we thought of the pop up uh, for the launch weekend as a kind of more of like a gallery opening, actually, or like a special invitation to experience the work in person and to build community rather than like a super presentational context. Um, we have this incredible partnership with NYU uh, uh, Tandon uh, Studio. They have uh, an amazing motion capture facility and volumetric capture studio. So uh, NYU Tandon actually sponsored three projects this year uh, uh, for motion capture. Uh, Anaquad, Ordinary Gesture, and Haboob, the three projects that I already mentioned. Um, mm. And so because we had done that production work there, it really felt like inviting the world to enter into the behind the scenes of or the artist's studio. I think a lot of big part of uh, Quills Fest is demystifying um, the scariness of XR production. I feel like it can feel so inaccessible and techie, quote unquote techie. I'm doing air quotes with my hands. Um, and I feel like a lot of the launch weekend was let's do some demos. Let's actually have audiences come in and you can get into a mocap suit and we can have a dance party. Very grateful for the folks at um, NYU Tandon who were super game about like thinking about this as a uh, uh, you too can be the author of this work. Um, and we're, we're, we're building a space where you can come and try it out yourself. So maybe you can do something next. One of the other pieces that's on the, uh, the slate is something called the Cymbeline Project, which uh, I think y'all are, are generating out. So a 10-episode digital series uh, referencing, of course, Cymbeline, uh, the, which is one of the, the, more, the, more, the lesser known Shakespeare plays um, by, by like an, I think, in the order of magnitude. So I'm wondering if you could tell us about that piece and, and how it's in the fest and, and why, why that particular play, because it is one that tends to be overlooked in the canon. Absolutely. So uh, I, one more con piece of context about Quills Fest is it, it, it feels more, um, it's more, it, it's like a celebration of the smorgasbord and the buffet of all that we're doing in this intersection all year, rather than we're just, uh, you know, curating and producing for the festival presentation. So Cymbeline Project, uh, we wanted to kind of share that as part of the festival, part of the festival, because it's one of our cornerstone projects that we've been really developing for the past two years. Um, uh, Nataki, our artistic director, had the vision of what if Cymbeline, the play, is a weird play? It's often called oh, a yeah. problem play, like you said, <laughs> because it's not a comedy, it's not a tragedy. What is this? I call it a K-drama. It's hectic. It's a collage already. So <laughs> Natalia, what if we do it as an episodic? Um, and I, uh, as the showrunner, curated the slate of lead artists who would come in and uh, uh, provide perspective and aesthetic to each of the episodes. So there's a entirely stop motion puppetry episode. And there is a choose your own adventure browser-based game episode. There is a uh, 360 video episode and so on. And um, it's a really interesting convergence of actually we're using the Shakespearean text. There are characters, like it's actually, um, uh, I, I, we barely cut any of the text. So it's actually very, um, uh, I, we actually have been not even calling it an adaptation because I believe that do, to do Shakespeare is to do it anew. And this is a great example of we're actually doing the whole text with the whole story and the whole characters. We're just do, we're in, in separating it into episodes and uh, really centering collage as a organizing principle. We're actually, we have the opportunity to bring out the story in a new way. And this actually brings up an interesting point about We've been think talking and thinking a lot about story versus um, uh, presence, which are not mutually exclusive, but I feel like sometimes there's a kind of tension between the two, or that's a question that often comes up working with theater artists and creative technologists. Like sometimes things feel like a fancy tech demo that doesn't have narrative impact, or sometimes something feels like a deeply meaningful story, but the tech doesn't work. So we're kind of like, how do we actually um, think about narrative and experience as something that can be um, uh, 
uh, that's not like diametrically opposed. It's something that's interwoven. And I think that is the strength of really engaging theater artists in this space. Yeah. Well, and particularly, you know, breaking out the the classics and 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 breaking and remixing some of the texts, or even just using the text whole cloth and and letting people explore what does it mean to create a theatrical space that people can explore or or situate the audience inside, because having those classic texts, having things from the canon. Although something like Cymbeline, not a lot of people know, unless they're a giant Shakespeare yeah. nerd. Uh, I won't say anything about myself, uh, but it's probably obvious <laughs> by now. Um, it, it gives the audience something to anchor into so they can, you know, the, it's familiar. It's a familiar story. They won't get lost. And so they can kind of let themselves drift into the world or or ask questions about their own place in it because they, they kind of know what's coming around the corner, uh, at least Absolutely. in terms of the narrative. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, I, I'm a huge believer in parameters actually uh, inspire creativity and freedom. And I feel like the Cymbeline mm. project is a great example of that. Uh, I, I, I think in the, in the kind of uh, controls of the experiment that we set up, we found a lot of um, boundary defying creativity. And uh, I, I mean, I think that's what Shakespeare did. Shakespeare was a populist artist that used the most cutting edge technology of his time. <laughs> so yeah. like, that's, that's what we're doing here. I love it. Scarlett, um, when when can people, how can people uh, tap into Quills Fest right now? Yeah, so Quills Fest is available for access until the end of November um, via a uh, headset uh, with your tether to your PC or via web browser. We're partnering with Vast, uh, which is a social and festival platform, VR platform uh, founded by Beijing-based uh, Sandman Studios. You pre previously might have uh, come across them at South by Southwest. Um, you can uh, download, and the instructions are on our website, uh, quillsfest.osfashland.org, uh, where you can download uh, the full VR experience um, via a tethered headset. And this can be any headset, including an Oculus Quest tethered to your PC and explore the full, full experience uh, right in your headset. You can also, um, I'm very excited to be able to offer this this year, uh, access Quillsfest VR World via web browser. And this is a bit of an experimental feature because it is uh, uh, through various servers around the world, we're cloud rendering um, our VR world so that folks can actually walk around in the world using the WASD and arrow keys right in your web browser. I think that's the future of, of uh, making VR more accessible and more uh, something that folks can uh, interact with more fluidly. So you can find uh, how to access the Quillsfest VR world on our website. And um, uh, I think VR is most fun when it's social. So I hope that I uh, bump into you while I'm checking out where, where I'm in the space. One more way of experiencing Quillsfest is just on the website. The panels, conversations from the launch weekend are all uh, there as videos. And you can also view um, uh, projects as a 2D walkthrough if you don't have access to a headset. Uh, in the web browser version, uh, you can't see some of the six degrees of freedom projects, meaning uh, projects that are heavier and uh, require um, more uh, processing power, you uh, may not load or uh, will not be able to access in the web version. So you can actually just watch a 2D playthrough uh, on the website so you can still have access to it. Um, you all can email quills at osfashland.org with any technical questions or questions about access, or if you just want to talk to the artists or want a want uh, want a buddy to give you a tour. Uh, this is uh, we're all we're happy to do that. We learn a lot as producers by talking with audiences and visitors, so we're always happy to kind of uh, tag along in a in a tour or a guided experience. Well, Scarlett, that's all fantastic, and I'll remind everyone tickets uh, to to get into Quills Fest online are just $10 and the pass gets you access for the whole month, which is quite nice. gives you time to check it out. And thank you all so much for making a web browser version of it. It's going to give a lot more people a chance uh, to check things out. So, um, one way or another, I know we're going to talk again and hopefully, uh, talk ahead of a Quills Fest three in uh, 2023. 
Absolutely. I, uh, super, uh, it was, it's super exciting <laughs> to be in touch with you again, Noah. And, uh, yeah, it's just the second year of Quills Fest. So we are already scheming and strategizing about what are our new projects for Quills Fest 23. And also how can we continue supporting the artists that we've been supporting? Um, I'm always excited about, uh, chatting with folks, across spaces, across industries. So I hope that uh, folks who are listening, please reach out. Um, we're, at, we're in a really exciting time in our journey at OSF, expanding uh, uh, the definition of theater and theatrical storytelling through interacting with the immersive world. So looking forward to making more connections with folks in the immersive omniverse. Odds are our next guest is responsible for introducing more people to immersive experiences than anyone else in the United States. Whether they're exploring Hawkins, Indiana from Stranger Things or dressing up for the Queen's Ball in the world of Bridgerton. We've got a few minutes now with Greg Lombardo, Vice President and Head of Live Experiences at the one and only Netflix on the eve of the debut of the Stranger Things experience here in Los Angeles for that part of its tour stop. Greg, thanks for taking some time out of your packed schedule to talk with us. Hi, Noah. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Um, it's going to cut right to it uh, uh, because I know there's a bazillion things that you've, you've got on your plate. So the big thing I want to know is how do you measure success with these experiences? That's something that comes up a lot in the immersive community. It's like, uh, what is it that you're looking to achieve here? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, the goal is to give the fans of these shows, of these films, a chance to step into the world that they know and love, experience it from a new angle, widen their aperture, and bring them a real visceral sense of joy and, and hopefully a sense that they have their hero moment in that, in that story that they love. So for, for us, it's always sort of thinking about that end user and making sure that at the end of the day, we're delivering a, a truly authentic, authentically feeling experience uh, that provides them with that, um, that deeper, deeper relationship with, with the, the series of the movie. We've got Stranger Things and Bridgerton. They're both on tour right now, and Money Heist has popped up in many cities. Why is Netflix so interested in immersive experiences? You, as a studio, you've done, I think, more than anyone else, uh, particularly with stuff that is not just, say, a, a Comic-Con activation. Yeah, uh, I think, look, we're always... Uh, on the lookout for new and innovative ways to engage with our members. And certainly, you know, we, we're, we're, our, our, our goal is to entertain the world. And when you think about this, um, this membership that, that, that really spans almost every country, uh, there's, there's so many stories on a daily basis that, that the, that members engage with and, and they fall in love with. And I think what we're trying to do is most importantly, uh, provide them with another, another viewing angle, right. In, into those stories. So for us, by, by offering an in real life experience that is grounded in those, those stories that, that are brought to life on screen, it's a way for us to just, um, further connect with those members and uh, hopefully give them another reason to uh, love Netflix. What do you personally find interesting about this immersive form? I mean, this, this is, this is your live experiences are, are your, are your life at this point. So I'm wondering what's interesting or fun or cool about this world building and, and leading people through these interactive worldscapes. I, I think coming 
I, I think my view on this is probably sharpened uh, as a result of coming off of the pandemic, right? I think a lot of us have reshaped our views of a lot of things uh, during that. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a chance to, I think, kind of revisit what, what human connection is. At, at its heart, right? Mm. And yeah, I think we are all, we're all craving it more and more. We're all um, sort of returning into the world, looking for ways to connect socially, looking for ways to share uh, an experience. And so I love immersive experiences because they really do that, right? They deliver on that, you know, that promise of connection. And it's, it's, it's remarkable to see the kind of community of people out there that, that come together for, for an experience, right? You, you've got the, you've got that kind of core diehard fan who's seen every episode of a show, uh, who, who, who knows every line from, from the season. Um, all the way to like the casual, the casual viewer. And what they're all there for is to just share in something unique that they can do together. And I think to me, that's what makes these types of experiences really magical. And I think meaningful. Have you seen sort of the approach? I love a bit about the pandemic. We've, we found a lot of that to be true as well. In, in, in some ways it was just this, pent up desire to get back out there and, and connect. Have you seen the approach to making these kind of change uh, as you're watching people go through them, as you're watching, uh, you know, this social dynamic to it, because it's, it's, it's different from say the drive-through experiences that were happening in, at the height of the pandemic. And, and to some degree, it's, it's even a little different from what was very popular beforehand with, you know, the, the Instagram palaces and the selfie palaces that everyone was doing, which could be fun to go with some friends to take photos, but it was, it was mostly about you as, as an individual in some ways. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it is really interesting. It, before it was sort of a celebration of self, right. And I, I think the environment was currency in a way, like for our social channels, right. It was a way to kind of trade, trade in, on, on the value of being there to, to, to kind of tell your friends about it on, 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 on the social network. Um, but it was really individualistic. And, um, you know, when you think about what I think about the drive into that we did in, in LA for, for back, you know, in, in what October of 2020 and that, that was, that I think was really, a, for us, it was just a pursuit of giving fans a moment of, of joy when they needed it most from the, one of the only places where we felt safe, which was inside our cars. Um, but it was really tough to, 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 to sort of pivot in a way and, and try to create, you know, how do you create connection when you, when you're in your car in this little bubble? Um, and so, and what we, what we found was really the magic there was the simple, the simple notion that when you were in the, it started in a star court, uh, in the parking lot of the star court, and there was sort of like a curate party being hosted. Um, and, and everyone was coming for a reunion at Hawkins high. So that was the sort of premise that got everyone sort of to drive in. Uh, and what we found was like we, we were looking for ways to communicate and to and for the, for the for the fans to communicate with one another, and we landed on this very simple concept that like the the MC of that show that sort of preceded the the the, the vehicle based experience in the in the parking garage was able to kind of solicit responses by having people beat their horn. Hmm. So so it was like this simple this simple conceit of like use your horn, which in LA we. <laughs> Like the notion of like encouraging people to use their horns is sort of it's sort of counterintuitive, but it became this amazing way for for the community of 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 guests to communicate with one another and to communicate with the host of the show, and and I think 
that was sort of for me this mo- moment of like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to take this type of learning and this experience and then really apply it to an in-person environment again. And and I think what you see now, to your point, is this move away from like the Instagram museum, which is very much about the self and putting yourself in that space to like a celebration of community and taking part in something special with others. And you see that like in, in, in the Queens ball for the Bridgerton experience, that is really upfront. It, it's about people are, are, are spending quite a bit of time and putting a lot of thought into how they're going to show up at the experience in, you know, what is Regency for them, the, the way they dress. Um, but it is very clearly they are coming to share that love of the show, that love of that story with others. And, and it really, you know, it comes to life on the dance floor. Um, there, there's really nothing uh, about that experience that is not meant to be shared with others. And, and I think that's also, you know, true of a lot of the stuff we've done now with like money heist at, you know, post pandemic, where you're, you're joining the La Casa de Papel gang. You are, you're working with others very closely to solve the challenges and, and kind of, you know, jump the hurdles required to get into the vault and get the gold as a, as a team. And, and, you know, what's nice about that is that's the show, right? The show is about this sort of like band of individuals who come together, you know, almost against the odds and achieve the unbelievable. And, and that's, that's a great platform for an experience. Right. So, so, and I think that that's, that's really what I see a lot more of that now. And a lot more of it is a focus on uh, a community of people that are, that are brought together. uh, And then through the, through these various experiences, they're, 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 they're encouraged to come together. Right. And, uh, and I think that's super exciting. And that's a definite change from, 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 from the way things were done uh, pre-pandemic. I, I'm no, I know I'm catching you in between things, so I just, I've just got one more question for you, which is, uh, without giving away necessarily like the IP involved, what's something that's kind of, uh, what's an ambition you have for the form? What's, what's something kind of dancing in your, in your head that you, you'd like to see your, your teams manifest here? Because you've gotten to play with a lot of different types of experiences at this point. Yeah. Um, how do I answer that without? <laughs> anyway, well, look. What is your next I, I, show? I, Give me all the details. We're starting. So, uh. <laughs> I think to me, it's about um, how do we scale that sense of community and engagement right and you know right now we're you know we have multiple units of these experiences that are touring to cities around the world uh obviously in an effort to super serve our members where they are right and that's really important for us to be in close proximity to be accessible um but i i think that the next the next big question that we need to answer is now, how do we scale that even further? And is there a way to connect, connect those, those pieces and to amplify that experience for everybody. So um, that's something we're thinking a lot about. All right. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm looking forward. I'm just a couple hours away from getting to do the stranger things experience myself. So looking forward to that. And always, always glad to see uh, Netflix play in this space and just sharing this form with so many folks. Thanks so much. It was great to be here. I really enjoyed speaking with you and enjoy, enjoy the experience tonight. Once again, I want to thank Scarlett and Greg for being our guests on the show this week. 
find Quills Fest in the show notes and go check it out. Again, just $10 for full access for the month and you can access it via PC VR or web browser. And Stranger Things Experience has just opened in Los Angeles or is just opening, depending on when you listen to this. If you listen to it on Friday, I think you've still got till Saturday till it opens uh, here in the greater Los Angeles area. I was out there last night. Going to talk about that in a second. And of course, uh, they're coming to Atlanta is where they're headed uh, on the East Coast run. And the London stand of the show is still up and running as we speak. So global worldwide phenomenon uh let's talk about it for a second uh, there's some other things to to kind of hop into uh i do i do want to remind everybody that uh 40 watts from nowhere actually could be let's talk about that actually let's talk about something else uh something i kind of wish i'd remembered to do at the top of the show uh, 40 watts from nowhere is open in los angeles right now and no pro backers you can also check your patreon feed because you get a discount on tickets through november this show for Mr. and Miss Jeff, it's the buzz is building. I can see all of the, the hardcore immersive fans are like, oh, you got to go see the show. You got to go see the show because we were telling you, you got to go see this show. So if you're here in Los Angeles, uh, this, is, this is a wonderful example of the form uh, and a wonderful example of what can be done with the form. And if you saw the show and you want to dig in some more, we have a fantastic interview with Jeff and Andy Crocker with uh, Mr. and Mr. themselves just a few stops back on the podcast feed. Uh, it was the episode before Cosm, which is the episode before Felix, which is the episode before this one. I won't do the math. Uh, check it out. And backers, check your feed for the discount. Hey, new backers, go back into the Patreon feed and find that discount. Uh, I think it knocks $5 off the ticket price for you. So there we are on that. Now let's talk about... Uh, let's talk about Stranger Things, the experience. I, uh, I, had, I had read the review that Leah Davis did. I'll, I'll link to Leah's review. I'm going to do a little capsule in next week's rundown. I think the thing that uh, I maybe wasn't prepared for, even though I'd read, um, is just how extensive and how clever the use of screens of all kinds, uh, in this production are this production uses several different types of screens to bring this whole thing to life. I won't say exactly how, uh, and it's very obvious the second you see uh, some of them, what's going on. So that's not really a spoiler, but what impressed me was that the combination of the build, which was very high level, the, performers because there's performers in there what was kind of funny was i was behind someone like a, a tiktoker uh very obviously a tiktoker because uh their their handler was taking fo- you know video of them right up until they you know there was like you can't take video anymore um uh, they didn't get admonished they were good they were good but in line they were talking to some other folks being like oh i think this is going to be vr like i think and then during the experience which threw me out a little bit they were like wow this isn't vr there's this is this is people and things like this is way more elaborate than i thought it was going to be uh, and the way it all gets put together uh, just really is seamless. What's kind of interesting here is that there's there's a real sense that you're still in a show. It's it's somewhere if you think of immersive as a continuity, and you know that dark rides are part you know, themed entertainment theme park dark rides are, are part of that continuity of immersive. You have something like rise of the resistance, which is a dark ride that is doing immersive. Uh, but it's still kind of, you know, at the, the light end of immersive, right? Like the, the far, far end for a theme park of what immersive means, but sort of like the, the, the shallow end of the pool for what immersive theater is. I'm going to say it right there, right? You know, it's incredibly immersive for a theme park ride, but it's for a piece of immersive theater. It's, you know, immersive light. Sorry, folks. That's just what it is. It, it's true. Um, if, if you don't think so, you haven't seen that much immersive theater. I don't think um, you just got to be honest with yourselves. What's interesting about this is that it's, more into the immersive game escape room 
immersive theater. It's still not, you know, fully into intimate immersive theater. The folks who've made this work, they know how to do that stuff. I know I've been to their shows. Uh, the folks who've written on this, who developed it, uh, they have definitely gone full bore. Um, there, but this manages to create something that can get more people through like you would in a themed, in a theme park, uh, in a, in a themed ride or in something like, um, oh, I don't know, dark Harbor, uh, out in, in long beach, the way that used to be, uh, there, there are reasons for that. Uh, it's, it's known that Michael too worked on it, that David Wally and folks worked on it. Uh, and, and so you, you see touches of that, right? Like how we move people through from station to station. Um, and, and yet it, it, it allows us to suspend our disbelief just enough and kind of kind of builds on that, kind of takes us up to the point where we're kind of more comfortable uh, letting letting go of of our, our concerns about the artifice as we kind of continue on. Um, but it's not something that ever um, fully uh, treats it as this is really real. Um you know, what? I'm going to take that back. It, it starts that way and then kind of lets go as we go on, uh, which I think is interesting and uh, kind of effective. You know, um, it's maybe not necessarily, you know, the, the full deep dive that we want when we're looking for a fully intimate, immersive that's you know, meditative and where you have an incredible amount of agency. But if you wanted to sort of plunge your hand into the world of stranger things and kind of soak up the vibes and feel like you, you touch something sublime for a moment and get those thrills, uh, that's there. It's doing it. And what's I think really important from an industry standpoint is it's doing it for a lot more people than the intimate immersive shows that, you know, the hardcore fan base here goes to will ever do much in the same way that rise of the resistance is bringing a lot more people through, uh, or, uh, you know, smugglers run, which is my personal favorite at galaxy's edge, uh, you know, is bringing so many people through into this, into this realm. The, and, and, and also really to the point it's traveling to the people, right? You know, this is something that Greg talked about in his interview that it's about Netflix going to where its members are and the fact that they're touring these shows and they're bringing this to markets that don't have a lot of the kind of immersive work we all know, and that's going to keep on going and they're training more people and they're going to be inspiring more folks and they're going to be creating demand. This is incredibly, incredibly useful for creating that infrastructure we need for the immersive Renaissance to continue. Uh, there've been a lot of big, you know, activation shows over the past few years. This really does take it to, the next step, the next level in what's possible. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of the lessons learned on this one applied. And of course it's, it is my hope that we can get even more verisimilitude, let people suspend their disbelief even more, let people have a little bit more agency, but as a starting point, as like the new page one in the low pandemic era, what a fantastic, fantastic touchstone uh, for our industry. And most importantly, from the perspective of someone who likes Stranger Things, a fun romp with characters you love. And let's be honest, sometimes you can't ask for more than that. All right. Those are my notes on the show. Uh, there'll be a much more condensed version of that in the capsule, but I thought I'd give it to everybody. Oh, look at that. The cords just bouncing everywhere. Um, Golly, what else is there? Um, I'm going to spare you the original next six minutes that I recorded, and I'm just going to put it like this. Go ahead, join our Discord, all right? Link in the show notes. Start posting there, particularly in the forums. 
I'm going to be a lot more active there as Twitter kind of dies. We're not making a Mastodon instance, but we may appear on Mastodon. You can also find No Persinium on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook. If you want to get your work, whether it is a show, a virtual world, a VR game, anything of that nature, anything that's immersive, a themed bar, submit at everythingimmersive.com. That is the only way we process show and event and game announcements and press releases. There isn't enough time with the volume you have to do it by hand. If you send us a press release, I'm just going to tell you to take it to Everything Immersive. Uh, do, though, if you're looking for a review, do contact us at pitches at nopersinium.com. Of course, the Patreon has these discounts we're getting from people and these auctions and these others' access to tickets. That's really exciting. But the reason why you join the Patreon is so that uh, I can go do all that grunt work and not have to go do a real day job somewhere. Um, more next time we're overdue for a, um, what do you call it? Uh, for an irregular couple of things also coming down the, the, the pipeline uh, here on the podcast feed. Next week, we're going to have an episode that's about the gift guide, which is coming out next week, uh, and that's going to land on Wednesday, so we're going to drop that Wednesday. We're also, I think also on Wednesday, Patrick and I are going to do a special backer-only episode about Andor, uh, because Alex Gloom asked us to do an episode about Andor, and because I'm obsessed uh, more than usual with Star Wars. I'm obsessed with Andor, uh, so we're doing that. And backers are also going to have an exclusive access uh, that will expire and become public. We've got the audio from the meetup that happened at Houseworld at, at, at uh, Gymnopedi uh, this past week. That is going to go up on the backer feed. And then uh, after the holiday, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be open up to everybody. That's the plan there. I still need to... to listen and edit and, and get everything fixed up. That may come a little earlier in the week. The point is, is that if you're looking to get away from your family, I got some audio for you to do. You got to take that call. You got to take that call. I, I'd love to hear people record how they respond to this show. <laughs> so I'm taking the call to get away from family. Anyway, uh, but maybe you don't want to get away from family. Maybe you just want to stay with them. That's good too. Um, sometimes I'm, Sometimes I'm that way as well. Sometimes, um, that's enough for now. I'm not going to do like, there was plenty uh, there was, I, I went on a rant about Mastodon and social media and this, that, that no one wanted that. I didn't want that. So I saved you from that. There you go. All right, let's do the credits y'all. Uh, the associate producer for this program is Parker Sella. Music for no Persinium is by Chris Porter of the speakeasy society and solar, the podcast special. Thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. This podcast is written, edited, hosted, screwed up, unscrewed up, fixed, published, social media promoted. I could go on cause I'm feeling chipper. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time I'll see you at the show. <laughs>